Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRV Health's Keith Viglioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry. Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salami. Welcome back to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Here with our host, Keith Viglioli of LRV Health. Keith, how are you today? I'm doing great. We had a wonderful weekend here in Boston, and of course, today it's raining. <laughs> it is raining, and, and I don't want to uh, put too much of a date on this, but tomorrow is opening day and has a real feel of 35 degrees at Fenway Park, so I'm excited about that. I'll be there. With oh, several you're going. Layers. Going. Yep. I hope they start turning around that ERA. <laughs> I'm sure they just need me in the stands and they'll they'll straighten right up. Uh, but we're here to talk healthcare today because baseball is hard, but healthcare is harder. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's cover this conversation. You had a great talk with Penny Wheeler and Rick Magnuson of Alina, and uh, you actually were uh, this was a road trip for you, and you, uh, unlike the Red Sox, did well on your road trip. Tell us a bit about uh, your visit to Alina. Sure. Yeah. So we we went up to the uh, Minneapolis area where Alina Health is one of the dominant providers in that marketplace. Uh, Penny and Rick, I've known for a good good amount of time, uh, and it's just a, a really incredible system. I think uh, on a bunch of fronts, I've I've come to know them and respect them in ways that are quite interesting on the cultural side because I always talk a lot about the social system of healthcare and specifically within the the health system side. And they, they've just defined and built such an incredible culture there of can-do attitudes and innovation first and, and really thinking forward on a lot of the topics that we talk about day in, day out, and also a lot of things that we do day in, day out at the LRV Health Platform. Um, and it's, it's a really exciting discussion. I think people are going to enjoy it because, um, again, I think this depicts really what we're trying to do with this podcast, trying to get an insider view of how they're grappling with things like fee for service and value, mm -hmm. social determinants of health, which uh, Penny has been a leader in and has done some incredible work there. Um, and then Rick talking also about, you know, how he is shaping sort of the financial platform and Alina around some of these topics. So they're, 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 it's not only an incredible discussion, but they make an incredible partnership. That's why I think it's so cool that we got both of them as, as part of this podcast. And I really, and, and they get into, you get into the discussion of what Alina is and you talk about social terms in the podcast. So I don't want to shed too much light on that in this intro. But I think one thing that stood out for me was kind of a, a, I think a badass answer that Penny Wheeler gave. It was more of a response when you said, you know, you guys really do a great job with innovation. And, and rather than her just say, hey, thanks, or sort of just defer or, or push away the, the praise, she just kind of acknowledged it and said, yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I thought it was—I thought it was very confident. It was like, "Wow, that's great." I'm, I just was glad to see that—that uh, that degree of confidence, and it was a really great interview. So, let's not waste any more time. Let's uh, get into this conversation with Penny Wheeler and Rick Magnuson of Alina. So welcome to the Healthcare is Hard podcast. I am sitting in front of Dr. Penny Wheeler and Rick Magnuson. I couldn't be uh, more excited to sit in front of you all. 
Great. Thank We're you. happy to be here with you. Yeah. And I got to fly into beautiful Minneapolis this morning. I think the cloud cover was about where the runway was. So that was that was <laughs> oh kind of my. fun as the, the gear hit. We'll um, try to do better by you next time. Oh, no, yeah. it wasn't snowing. Yeah, there you go. Which, which we'll was just wait. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we start these out always is try to be a bit more informal. And, you know, maybe we can start with you, Penny, yeah. and talk a little bit about what people may not know about you is sort of how this all began, your background. Yeah how you got here. And then Rick, we could do the same for you. Well, I'm still wondering how I got here myself. So, um, you know, I am, uh, I was somebody who is, uh, has the incredible fortune of leading the organization, in which they were born. So, um, or, so I say I've been here for 60 years, uh, wow. actually. Um, but, uh, I am an obstetrician gynecologist, uh, uh mother partner, and, uh, was really loving, uh, practicing, uh, um, care for, for patients thought, you know, what a privileged profession you have to make a difference in somebody's life every day. And uh, then got radicalized around quality improvement because of some of the people that you've talked to previously on these podcasts in, in Marin Biziano and Don Berwick. Oh, interesting. So I uh, got, uh, you know, thinking, gosh, we do pockets of things really, really wonderfully well. How could we do it? How much of a difference would we make for our people in our communities if we did it consistently well? Right. So I got kind of radicalized around quality improvement, uh, chaired the quality committee and was on the board of this organization in which I was born, became chief clinical officer and then became CEO. So it was, uh, you know, a kind of surprise journey for me and uh, one where I've been lucky enough to be besides people uh, and try to relieve their suffering and also um, uh, leading an organization that I think is a wonderful one as it tries to relieve the suffering of our country in terms of health care and its challenges. Wow. And was, was medicine in your family or no? No, wasn't wasn't in my family at all. Oh, so, yeah. But I do say that my, my father was an engineer and my mother thought you could solve world hunger. So my right. goal is to take practical <laughs> steps to idealism. That's right. Yeah. Also in the quality improvement on engineering side. Exactly right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's great. Terrific. Yeah. Rick, how about yourself? Sure. So um, I began in healthcare, it depends on how you count, but almost 40 years ago. Um, and um, I'd love to say there was a, a straightforward path, but I began actually as a nursing assistant in a nursing home. Never, ever thought I'd go from there to be sitting here today. Um, uh, but, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I... We all learned stuff today. Learned stuff. It's <laughs> how I got through college. And it was also a sort of create that passion and being able to work with people and being able to... Um, I really enjoyed it. And it just sort of happened that then my first uh, foray from, for a real job, quote unquote, after college was um, I started I first started uh, in Medicare, uh, not understanding that that's really the backbone of this whole system from right. a financing perspective and how privileged I was to be able to learn Medicare. I had no idea when they told me what a cost report was on day one, but the foundation of it began there. And then uh, shortly thereafter, um, I began working, uh, wasn't Alina back then, but where Penny was born, Abbott mm-hmm. Northwestern Hospital, in a variety of financial roles and then operational roles. Uh, worked uh, here for until about 2004, and then I, I left Alina hmm. um, and went across the country, first to the East Coast to an academic medical center, then to the West Coast um, to the payer side, um, and then uh, to uh, Southern California to the uh, Teaching Research Cancer uh, Organization. And um, wonderful to be able to see healthcare in so many different settings. 
you know, they say healthcare is local and it very much is because I was born and raised here. So right. all I knew was Minnesota and Minneapolis and to be able to get out and about and be able to see other parts of healthcare across the country was incredibly eye opening. And also being able to see the different sides of healthcare. Uh, so many people only see one part of it. It's very siloed. Um, and then uh, had the opportunity, uh, Penny and I worked together side by side back when she was a practicing physician um, and had the opportunity to come back to this community and serve in this community, which um, I never thought I would be doing. Um, but what I appreciated about being in Minneapolis and Minnesota is you didn't, um, I didn't appreciate at the time how ahead of the curve it is and what an incredible community of clinicians that we have here. I didn't see that elsewhere around the country. I thought it was everywhere, and right. it's not. So to be able to come back here and be part of this community and be able to work with Penny and others to truly make a difference is, a, as I always say, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah. You can't, you can't write, you know, it's just, it's truly a once-in-a-lifetime story to come back and come back home and use the skills that I've learned throughout the country and seeing the different parts yeah. of the country and to bring it home here. And that's got to be pretty unique in the healthcare administration ranks of two folks that were born in the same city now are running yeah. one of the largest institutions in that city. Yeah, but I recognize, though, that I had somebody who was born here that nobody ever forgot Rick when he left because everybody really had a great relationship. But for somebody, after having been here my whole career, then having somebody who had done all the things that Rick had done right. and yet had been familiar and already had established relationships here that were still treasured, uh, it was perfect for us. So you you do need... You know, inside thinking, you need outside thinking, you know, yeah. to do this well. Absolutely. And so, Penny, maybe a little bit more on Alina. And, and so, I, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the preamble, but it's, I always find it fascinating of all the people that I talk to when they say a health system, they typically think of, oh, that's a hospital. Yeah. And I think it's, it'd be good to maybe tell folks sort of really what makes up Alina, because it's a lot yeah. more than that. Yeah, thank you for that. And it's almost getting to the point now where people say hospital system and I, the hair on the back of my neck kind of stands <laughs> up a little bit because, you know, what we're to do for our communities is actually to support them in all their care needs, right. you know, and to think about it in a holistic kind of way. Um, you know, we call it whole person care mm -hmm. here. Um, and uh, to be able to do that and support their care, you have to have the whole continuum of care, everything. And we have it, you know, a breadth of services that's so from home care services to clinic services to inpatient services, for sure, to hospice services, to transportation, to all of those things in between. So it's a whole system of care. Yeah. Um, we, we do um, in our 12 hospitals, we have about 150,000 or so admissions, but we also care for, you know, over 1.5 million, you know, right. on the ambulatory platform, we have more touch points with them there. So to think of that whole continuum of care is what we think about. And that whole continuum and the breadth of services and the depth of our expertise allows us, you know, to deliver, you know, uh, care across and hopefully at our best kind of connect all those parts and take the hassle out of healthcare for those we're serving. And we had I talked to a few folks in your organization and it was interesting to me, some of the stuff that you're doing even around lifestyle medicine yeah, and the Institute here that I hadn't heard maybe in some other places like that, where they're actually holistically thinking about all yeah. sides of the patient. We think that, you know, we, we really like to say that one of the things that at least our patients and our employees and our community said define us is that you seem to think about us more about than just a disease body part, but like 
How can, what's going on with you emotionally? What's going on with you in terms of your passions? Do you have the right connections to the community? So one of the things I think you're referring to is we have an Institute for Health and Healing that actually helps people with things like stress management, with dietary needs, with uh, how lifestyle choices are, so that with resiliency training, you know, so that they can actually um, live their best lives. And so do you think that, you know, you've both been doing this for a long time and you've seen a lot of sides of it to your point earlier, Rick. (laughs) Do you think that's where this is going for the average integrated health system or even integrated health system and, and payer, right? Because we see, you know, I think there's about 106 provider-sponsored health plans around the country yeah. as well. What is What does the average health system need to be thinking about today? You know, we had um, a good friend of mine write a report in Becker's not too long ago coming out of J.P. Morgan about this idea that these health systems are becoming platforms. Yeah. Yep. So how would you all think about that statement about, a platform and, and ultimately what it becomes. Yeah, good to get Rick's color commentary on this too. But I think about that platform and I like that analogy of what we've already have and actually how can we extend it? So everybody's worried about all these disruptors. Actually, how do we come part of this disruption by extending that platform? I envision a world where home becomes more the hub of care right. as we go forward. When you think about what's available from you know virtual care and asynchronous care and synchronous virtual care and mm-hmm. AI that's coming into place and chat boxes that are coming into place and algorithms that'll actually help us take care of people with some degrees of needs. And then know that we have to also have that care continue to extend to the very most complex and vulnerable kinds of care needs. So I think that, you know, working with partners to stretch that continuum so that everybody feels consistently cared for is kind of our vision for the future where nobody feels discharged uh, from that care. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing that a lot lately about never discharge a patient. Yeah. From a number of leaders, and so it's right. interesting. So that means we think that means you need partners to be right. able to do that effectively. Right. You may you may need to partner in retail spaces and other spaces to be able to do that effectively. And you have to think about what's your role to play for your community. Got and it. all health systems' roles might not be the same. Got for it. us, we think that uh, when when life gets complicated, even beyond clinical, mm-hmm. we're the ones that can help you coordinate. You know the complexities of uh, difficult care and difficult life circumstances. Hi, everyone. Tom here. Just taking a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the Breaking Health Podcast. This is actually our first healthcare podcast. Our host, Steve Krupa, the CEO of Health Edge, talks with startup CEOs and entrepreneurs about how they're looking to upend healthcare from the other end of the spectrum. So if you enjoy healthcare innovation, and you must, you're here listening to Healthcare is Hard, Please do check out Breaking Health. It's a great podcast. It's on iTunes, whatever platform you're listening to. Now let's get back into this conversation. So Rick, thoughts on partners and how you all are thinking about that. Is it broader now? So to your point about retail players and obviously what CVS and Aetna have done, and I know you have a relationship with, with Aetna, you know, is, is your thinking broader than it used to be in terms of who you would potentially reach out to? I mean, there's big tech players now emerging everywhere thinking about talking to health systems. Google wants to take over all of your data, uh, all the different things that are going on. Yeah, definitely. Well, go back to, you know, the core of who we have been historically is hospitals and clinics. And as Penny's saying, we've got to extend our platform much more out because uh, the consumer's demanding that too. Right. So we um, need partners that can help us extend those reaches. So um, we're in lots of conversations right now as we speak about how partners can help us through that continuum, how, how that helps us not discharge that patient because 
Um, we've got many partners that we've got close relationships on, both on the front end and in the back end. As we think about at-home care, how do we help that uh, patient uh, from that home perspective? On the front end, I think you're going to see us. And, and going back to your original question, what should people be thinking about? You're going to have to be thinking much more beyond your own walls right. and much more beyond your bricks and mortar and much more about communities and neighborhoods and how you're extending the care in there in ways that you're not doing it today. And so do you think it gets as crazy as we have one health system that actually owns gyms and owns wellness centers? Do you think it gets that broad for an average health system? Or I think that we have to think about what's the core of what we do. What yeah. can we yeah. do really well and where do we have to partner with others? Got it. I don't think that at least our approach is that we're good with the complexities of care when you have that. Right. Um, and preventing secondary complications when somebody might have a chronic illness. Right we'll probably need partners to get into the wellness space and prevent some of the primary uh, things going forward. Um, yeah. So I think we have to think about what what is our best role to play and who do we have to partner with to totally tie that continuum together and, and partner. But I don't think we can have all those pieces be part of, you yeah, know, sure. uh, aren't part of our core. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other part of that is um, it's not just about wellness. It's creating sort of that community and creating the attachment that's going to become more and more important as we think about millennials and everybody else. How do we start to create a relationship? It's not necessarily the gym, but there's community right. centers. There's whatever ways that people start to create a relationship with our extended partners that then when they do need, as Penny's just describing, that higher end care, we're here for them. That's great. Yeah. And so let's let's dig into the community side for a second because the, the biggest buzzword of all buzzwords right now, there's always one a year yeah. in healthcare is social determinants. Yeah. And it's an important word and, yeah. and it's an important effort. And I know you've been on the front lines for a while now, yourself and Alina, sort of thinking through that. So I'd love to maybe learn a little bit more about what you all have been doing around those those set of activities because it's pretty complex. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, the our community benefit function has become, you know, looking at community needs assessment, but becoming much more strategic and center and having a center position for our strategy. And we've done it in this way where we applied for a CMMI, Accountable Health Communities Grant, and got it. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing now is screening people for social determinants of health. Um, at our clinics and many of our emergency rooms as well. And the things we're screening for are, you know, transportation needs, violence in the home, mm -hmm. food insecurity, um, utilities, and housing aspects. And uh, what we found is that about a third of the people we're seeing are having one of those identified mm -hmm. needs. And now through a wonderful software program, we use NowPow, mm -hmm. um, we can actually connect them to viable community resources that are updated automatically all the time. So mm -hmm. it actually connects that to those services. So about a third of the time they're saying that they need this. Um, almost half of the time uh, when they have an identified needs, it's food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And we're getting these tremendous stories out of just connecting people to other community resources where they say that, uh, you know, one person told a doctor, well, I knew you cared about me. Now I know you really care about me. Right. Or one person said, you know, the margin for my family was the $10 that it took to actually, you know, fix my car, you know, or drive differently every week until my car was fixed. And now you've helped me connect to those resources and it's made all the difference. She said, you took my family from being in the basement to now feeling whole. Wow. 
I mean, so you realize there's a small margin that people are living on sometimes. And for us to be able to realistically put in our workflows um, connections to those community resources and have them being used, uh, that can make all the difference. Now we'll see if that translates, and we think it will. We know it's making difference. The stories are just coming out of the woodwork. It's scaled like crazy. We uh, have already offered screening to 140,000 people. About 100,000 of those have accepted the screening, and we've connected them to those community resources. And then we'll see well, what's the return on their health and well-being um, going forward? And does that, in your mind, um, having been on the front clinical lines for a long time too, does that also have to get into a retraining of the workforce about their thinking and the social system of the system yeah, about how we think about whole person? It's a fabulous question, and it and it does. I mean, the first uh, thing that we recognize is that the people who are have, making these queries of people um, they basically uh, didn't know how to talk to our pa- the patients we were serving right. like that. They didn't want there to be an us and them thing. They these were sensitive questions. How could they ask them? And then we actually, you know, through kind of a lean process design, involved over three hundred people. And how do we put these workflows into place? So have the having the frontline design how whether it has meaning and mm-hmm. how to efficiently design it into their workflows. Um, was how we embedded this and how we scaled it so quickly. I mean, they saw that it had, I mean, they could see people, several of them came up to me, there were people crying in our clinics because of how much this meant to them. So when something has so much purpose to the frontline, you know, staff who are connecting that way, it scales pretty pretty readily because they could see the difference this was making. And then maybe, Rick, you can comment on it or we can, and Penny, you can as well. But when you think about this push, everybody knows it's the right thing to do. For society, I think, and everybody knows this should be part of it. Now, I would, have, I would actually argue that the U.S. has been a laggard because if you think about the where resource pools have been in Europe and other parts of the world, health and community benefit are one budget. Yeah. They're not separate budgets like we have here. Yeah. And so we're seeing more of it. Where does reimbursement go on this? Because it seems like the rate limiting factor on really, really doing this is the reimbursement side of the equation, hence why you got a CMMI grant to sort of do this on a continual basis. So a couple, couple things there. One is, as we think about the value-based world um, yeah. and um, how we uh, get reimbursed and paid for some of these other things is by uh, having uh, more um, control of that overall dollar and that spend right. in order to do the things that Penny's just talking about. I know... Um, you know, Alina's journey began back in 2011, 2012 timeframe around going down the value path exactly because of these types of issues and being able to uh, be able to serve that whole person in a way that they're not reimbursed for today. Um, as you know, the industry has gone in a different direction, at least here in, in Minnesota. Didn't go as fast as we thought it would be going. Went a little bit different path. However, with that said, Alina is still committed um, to continue down that value-based conversation value-based play. We still think right. it's the right thing for exactly what you are, you and Penny are just talking about. We have to serve that whole person in being able to take care of it. And so the closer we can become much uh, uh, integrated or some way of having a, a value play, the better we're going to be able to serve those people. I think the other part of it is, and it's part of the reason that we're, we're we know you, Keith, is, is we know that we're going to have to do it in, in different ways that are you know, not as expensive in right. different tools and technology and when to have that high tech versus high touch. Right. And we can't, you know, have care managers in the traditional way for every patient. There's different needs, yeah. but there's simple things that we can be doing around food. There's other ways that we can be handling these patients or the or these folks. And so 
Um, we are actively looking at um, pushing forward on uh, value-based worlds in different ways so that we can better serve a broader population and have control over that, that, that total dollar. Um, and we're looking at using different mechanisms, partners, and technology to help serve them in a way that's affordable. And so let's stay on this for a second because I've asked everybody who's come on the podcast so far, and I think this is the sixth one, uh, same question, which is, and come up out of Minnesota as well, which is pace on VBC. And so if you think about everything you've seen, I have a bias because I think it all drives through administration, but don't use my bias. Um, where are we in that journey, right? So you, you've got a point of view here, but you've been in multiple markets. Where do you really think the pace of EBC goes where, you know, do we keep, obviously we have Trump for a couple more years in that administration. Maybe that carries for another four, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you have a Democrat come in. I mean, is that really the rate limiting modifier of who's in office of how fast you all go? We think there's opportunities in the commercial population. Okay. You know, so... And we think there's a lot of opportunities within the government areas. Yeah. Um, and so in Minnesota, um, Medicare Advantage, the cost plans just went away and Medicare Advantage is coming in. We're, we're one of the last states um, just getting Medicare Advantage. So we still think yeah. there's an opportunity with that Medicare uh, Advantage population, which I think is going to be around for a period of time yeah. because it's received pretty well from both sides. Growing very quickly. It, growing very quickly. And so there's a way that we can serve in that population we believe there's an opportunity to better serve in the Medicaid population, and we believe there's an opportunity in the commercial side. What we're doing is really maybe it's value-based care 2.0 for Alina. Um, and we're, what we're doing is in 2019, different experiments or pilots of ways that we can take risk in, in different ways, learn quickly, fail fast, learn yeah. whatever, so that we can expand those as we go into 2020 and 2021. And again, looking at probably some non-traditional ways to do and serve uh, serve uh, folks. So we believe um, it's the right way long-term, and we believe that we can help design some of that future, at least for our community here. Yeah. Penny, any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think that Rick, Rick stated, it, stated it well. We're really, you know, we're still committed as an organization. The world hasn't turned as quickly as we thought it would in this space. But um, it's a way to align all the incentives of the systems, right? It's best for it's best for patients if they get the best outcome for dollar spent. It's best for providers. That's what we always want to provide. It's best for payers to get that. So moving towards that world seems like inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to continue to move that. And I think it's our obligation, almost a moral one, to, to push that as an organization. And we have to realize not only is it, you know, usually people point at each other like, well, they're not willing to accept risk. Well, they're not willing to give risk, you know. Um, it, will, it takes internal disruption, too. I mean, we have been incentivizing as a provider organization, basically. We've been, we've been always talking to our hospital presidents, how full are your beds? Right. And the conversation, you know, and that becomes part of somebody's identity. Yeah. Or, or to proceduralists, how yeah. many heart casts have you done? Yeah. It becomes part of somebody's identity. Now we're going to ask, you know, you know, how empty are your beds? And are you only using the catheter for people who really need, you know, heart right. catheterizations being done? So there's a lot of internal disruption. We have to think about this. And, right. um, but we feel like it's part of our obligation to continue to push things in that direction because it's a way that it aligns everything we're about, you know, um, together uh, and enhances our mission in a much greater way than um, the really kind of disconnects that the current fee-for-service model has. Yeah. Um, 
I use the same example all the time about one time I was, uh, you know, in the boardroom at one of our largest hospitals and the then president no longer with us said, well, we didn't have a very good month this year, this this month because we didn't have a good flu season. And what she meant was not enough people got sick. Right. And then, you know, the flaws of the system that you're working in. Right. So we have to think about the internal disruptions, too, I think, and stop pointing fingers at, at other people. It's always fascinating with the Wall Street analyst. If you follow the publicly traded uh, hospital systems, health systems, that's all they talk about through the winter. Right. So yeah. are we, you know, are we forecasting up? Are we forecasting down based on flu season? I think it's a shame. Yeah. Um, so maybe pushing on the disruption piece, because I talk about you guys all around the country, because I think you've done such an incredible job at being very pragmatic and thinking through an innovation program, second to none, in my opinion, for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, and, and we also happen to be a part of it, so I see it firsthand, <laughs> which is nice. Um, but I'd love to sort of maybe spend the last part of our discussion talking about sort of how you think about disrupting from the inside. And so I know you all do a lot of things of thinking about how do we disrupt from the inside out and then how you're also, which I think you're also been very good at taking stuff from the outside coming in and how that program came about and how you all thought about it and how you got your board involved. I think a lot of people don't understand some of the innovation. Hence, that's a big reason for our platform, let alone this podcast, is all the innovations actually really going on with the incumbents rather than just the disruptors on the outside thinking that the incumbent should go away. Right, right. And I'll tell you, Rick has been so instrumental with that. Let me let me have him describe what we've sure. done and how we've approached it. Sure, yeah. sure. So, if, you know, from a pure, I'll just wear my pure finance hat right now. If you know, every year you know, we've got the challenge of you know our expenses go up three percent and our revenues go up one and a half percent in our current business model. So we have to disrupt our our business model. And this started out about eighteen months ago, trying to look at hmm, are there other revenue streams? Are there ways that we could disrupt our business? In order to be financially successful, because there's, well, every day we're looking at becoming more and more efficient under the, sort of that traditional tool set, we've got to find other ways to take care and become much more affordable. So it began on that, that path, and it began us trying to think through, hmm, how do we get exposure to what's out there? Uh, what's in the disruptive space. And it was interesting because early on we were thinking, well, well, we'll just go create our own venture capital fund. We, you know, why need that LRV? We can just go do this ourselves. We, we quickly learned that we don't have that as our core capabilities. And there's folks like yourself that are out there that could really help us see and understand um, the disruption that's going on out there. And so we made the decision working with our board. And I, I really give credit to our board mm-hmm. who is pushing us in ways to think about the consumer and think about disrupting the business and thinking about the long-term because this is a long-term play to be a viable organization to be able to serve back in this community. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the, the why we're doing this. And so the board really pushed us and we asked them to go down these paths then to start to invest in these different funds so that we could become a strategic limited partner, so that we can get exposure, so that we can be colleagues across the, the country mm-hmm. to better understand how to do some of this work. And so that's, that's sort of the, the why of it. Um, and then we've been starting, that was just a little over 12 plus months ago that we did that. We've invested in the four funds and we're starting to bring in some of what we're learning about into the organization whether it's services, whether it's technology, there's tons of incredible, as you know, yeah. <laughs> companies out there trying to figure out the healthcare space and disrupt space. The value is being able to bring that in along with 
our working knowledge right. of what it's like running this place day in and day out and bringing those two together. So that's sort of that outside in that we're trying to right. help and bring those tools thinking, again, going back to high tech, high touch yep. um, disruptors and bringing them into the organization, whether it's taking care of a diabetes patient, you know, in a whole different way, whether it's apps, um, whether it's in dealing with our employees and figuring out how to help them in a different way. All right. these different ways are what we're looking for there. And I think that's, um, you hit on sort of the thing that I feel in working with you guys a lot is you're really receptive to that push and pull. And it's a testament, I think, to your culture in this organization, which is what's needed, in my opinion, on this disruption and this innovation side. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. We, always, you know, we have this kind of mantra where we can't be afraid to put ourselves out of business the way that we know it today. Right. And, you know, that opens up what you're doing. And, you know, this is... This, you know, this helps accelerate our strategic position to extend that platform right. that you talked about earlier and yeah. extend it to other ways um, that really meet people. You know, somebody told me the biggest lesson of leadership is never forget who and what you're serving and why. And we're serving our communities and the people, you know, who need us to support their health. Right. So we have to get out there closer to them. So if we can go from, you know, having reactive mental health services right. on the back end when somebody's in acute care crisis to changing that to, hmm, let's partner with somebody who can actually get into the schools and pre- prevent first episode psychoses. Right. You know, that's a whole different, you know, level of uh, community health and commitment. So so we want to uh, get out of the way that things are done and be part of a partner and a party to, you know, changing the world for the better. Yeah. And I think that's a testament to both your leadership because I see it every day working with the organization, which it, you know, they live what you're saying. You're not just saying that in my opinion, they're really living what you're both saying on that front. So um, maybe to close, um, we talk a little bit about how within the same vein of innovation, what's the message to entrepreneurs? What are, what are the messages of the people that are coming to the health system, how to best work with you all um, a lot of these folks, as you know, don't come from this world and are trying to, you know, best partner with you all and um, and think about sort of, you know, how they can approach the average health system these days in terms of to be really beneficial to you all. Well, I think one of the things I'll say, it'd be interesting, you know, I get um, probably at least a dozen emails, probably more every day from a different point solution from somebody. I think that my advice would be, you know, try to understand the organization that you're pitching to, what their strategic bent is and where this might fit, you know, in in that continuum or that platform that they have or that they're building. You can look to signals. Like, for example, a signal for us is what funds are we part of and what do they see, you know, as going on? You know, we're, we're, we're in funds that are much more consumer facing, you know, because we think that we have to do an increasingly better job of taking the hassle out of healthcare for the people we serve. So what do we, what do those look like? So I'd say, you know, understand how it fits rather than thinking that several point solutions are going to be um, very attractive, you know, to us as an organization. That's great. Yeah, it's thought? just to build on that. I mean, it's a continuum. Yeah. Understand how the continuum works. Yeah. Um, it, it, so the point solutions are great, but you have to understand how this all fits together. And and I think the other thing would be, um, I don't think we're alone. I think systems are eager to try to work with different partners and help learn because, quite honestly, I've said this, you know, the best designs are going to be how we can co-create some of this work together. We've right. got industry knowledge we also need that disruptive knowledge that they have. Exactly. And if there's a way that we can come together and bring both minds together, I think the end product's going to be so much better 
Um, Because some of this, you do need to understand the system and how it really works. (laughs) And, And we need their help then to think about new ways of doing things. And the more we could partner and learn together... That's what I would encourage them to, to be thinking about and helping bring solutions, but be willing to understand, seek to understand from us. All right. That's well said. Very well said. So, so last question is, if you look out 10 years, do you think health system leaders should be scared or excited? Yeah, I think really excited. I mean, we're here at a pivotal moment in history where we actually can change the game and, uh, you know, have an impact on people's lives in the way that we've never had it before. You know, really reach out and give them just the care they need it, just the time they need it, just the way they want it, and uh, be able to extend that continuum platform in a big way. You know, we just have to be willing to be open to doing that and align the align all of the rewards of the systems for doing it well in the right way. Great. Rick, any thoughts? Last thoughts? Yeah. No, and it's funny because I don't even think it's 10 years out. Penny and I were talking this morning. (laughs) I said in two years, we're going to be a very different organization. Yeah. And we need to be a very different organization. And so I think it's exciting. um, We're going to be bringing this all together and serving people in a whole different way. Well, good. Well, thank you both for your time. I know you're very busy. Thank you for your partnership and your friendship. And uh, this has been a wonderful discussion. I think people can really enjoy it. Thank thank you for yours. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. My name is Tom Salemi. Please, if you enjoyed yourself and you made it this far, I'm guessing you had a pretty good time. Share the podcast. Let your colleagues and your friends know about Healthcare is Hard. You can share it on Twitter. You can text it to folks. You can email it to them, however you want to do it. We're all on LinkedIn. Share it on there. Love to have more people listening to the podcast. If you'd like to uh, tag Keith or myself on Twitter, Keith is at Keith Figlioli. His last name is spelled F-I-G-L-I-O-L-I. And I am at MedTechTom. Love to uh, retweet those tweets for you and uh, help you spread the word. Finally, if you want to uh, share any comments or thoughts with me, my email is tom at healthag.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of this podcast, the Breaking Health Podcast, the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit and many, many other great podcasts and events. Please go to healthogy.com for more information. That's it. Tune into our next episode for another great tale of healthcare innovation on Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders.